0: You're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Well, good morning and welcome to North Richland Hills Baptist Church. Uh, My name is Jeremy Winters and I have the privilege of serving as the campus pastor of the Cross Church campus. Uh, So I want to thank you for being here. You are the few the proud Marines who overcame a virus, spring break, and daylight savings time. We're looking forward to everybody else being here at the 11 o'clock service today, all right? So be sure and get your phone out, text them, encourage them to be here at 11. Um, well, this morning, as you've noticed, we're doing something very different. Me stepping up to the pulpit at this point in time does not mean that we are preaching for an hour, okay? So I just want to rest, you know, settle you down there. Uh, you would, you would. Uh, But we are going to use the opportunity to um, walk through the entirety of the narrative of the Bible all the way through the pages of Scripture from cover to cover minus the maps uh, because that's, in fact, what our stained glass windows do here at InterHBC and the Cross Church Campus is they walk through the overarching story of the Bible. Okay, and so if you've got your Bibles with you, I hope you do, pull them out. Because we're going to be flipping through a lot of pages today, all right? Now, I'm going to make it really easy for you in that we're only ever going to flip towards the right, okay? So as you turn, only turn right, okay? And just as our stained glass windows begin with the story of creation, with the image of the planets and the sun and the moon and the stars there, so does Scripture as it begins to tell one story that god has a plan for his creation so beginning in genesis chapter 1 beginning in verse 1 scripture says this and in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of god was hovering over the face of the waters and god said let there be light and there was light God created all of reality and all of life. Everything that you see and feel and touch and hear and experience was all created by the power, the creativity, and the majesty of God the Father. And each day as creation goes on and God creates one more element of his creation, he puts a stamp of approval on it and says, it was good. As he creates the stars and the heavens and the plants and the animals and the sky above. And then we get to Genesis chapter 2. Flip one page over. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, as we see the final piece of his creation. Beginning at verse 4 says this, And these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. And when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. And then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. And the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so the plot thickens. God creates man and woman in his image to work the ground of the garden. To protect God's creation of the garden. To extend the garden across the face of the earth. And they were given this task to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth, but not only to fill the earth, but to rule over the earth, to have dominion over all of God's creation as representatives of God the Father himself on earth. And then God explains to Adam and Eve, the rest of chapter 2, that they can eat freely from any and all the trees of the garden that he would provided for them. It was all there for them to take, including the tree of life. A tree that brings life to the people of God. He says there's one tree. And it's there in the middle of the garden next to the tree of life. And God commands Adam and Eve, this is the one tree you're not to eat of. Because if you do, you will surely die. That though it's appealing and enticing and it looks good, It'll cause pain and hurt for not only you, but for everyone around you. And isn't this the way life still works today? That in us trying to enjoy the fullness and the joyful life that God has to offer, we have to pass by the appealing things, the tempting things, the seductive things of the world, and refrain from reaching out and taking them so that we can enjoy the life that God offers to us and brings to us. The story continues in Genesis chapter three. You may have to turn one page. Genesis chapter three continues as our story as Eve and Adam, in a moment of temptation and weakness, decided that they weren't satisfied with, with ruling all of God's creation under his authority. And so in disobedience to God, they reach out and take the fruit as if to say, I am my own authority. I want to I do things my way, in my own timing and in my own planning, according to my own desires. And as a result of their disobedience, sin entered the world. And with it, further rebellion against God as well as the effects of sin, shame and guilt and more sin leading to death. For Romans chapter 6 says the wages of sin is death. And Romans 5, 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Genesis chapter 3 goes on to explain that after they have fallen into sin and given in to their own desires that God doles out some punishments for the responsible parties to the serpent who tempted Eve, to Eve herself who took of the fruit first and to Adam who took of it as well. And in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 I want you to pay attention to this verse. Genesis three fifteen: God says in his punishment I will put enmity between you the serpent and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring and he the offspring of the woman shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. I want to want you to take note of in chapter 3 verse 15 of Genesis is this is really the seed and the kernel of God's promise that he has a plan for his creation and that that promises that he's going to restore his creation one day. And this really functions Um, The the, the beginning here, this is really the beginning of a musical motif that carries on throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, culminating in the birth of Jesus Christ. And so a a musical motif would be like um, in movies, I'm a big movie fan, and I've seen most movies ever made, not really, but I try, um, and there are some incredibly great ones, epic stories. How many of you have seen Star Wars? Okay, that's sad. You know you have. I know you have. Some of you were at the theater in 1977, okay? Or Lord of the Rings or some of these epic fantasy movies, right? And they bring in these great composers in the background like John Williams and Hans Zimmer to create these musical scores and these, these melodies that play in the, background of these music, in the background of these movies. And for movies like Star Wars, John Williams is an incredible thing where for each major character for Darth Vader, for Luke Skywalker, for Princess Leia, Han Solo, even Master Yoda, they all get their own unique little melody. It may be six to 12 little notes. But that when you hear that melody, you instantly think, oh, this is Luke Skywalker. And the first time you hear Luke Skywalker staring off into the horizon as a young man, and you hear the the musical score play in the background. And then John Williams and the director do this amazing thing. Every time Luke Skywalker... Let me try that again. Every time Luke Skywalker pops up in a scene in Star Wars after that, it plays that exact same melody, maybe in a slightly different way, but the melody's still there, to reinforce who this character is and everything that's come before in his life. And Scripture is going to do the same thing throughout the rest of the Old Testament, beginning here in Genesis 3, 15, of this this kernel of a seed of a promise that one day God is going to send forth a son born of a woman— to save and deliver his people. And so next, as we look at the stained glass of prophecy represented by the lamb on the altar, let's walk through the Old Testament and let's see this musical motif uh, come to fruition. And so turn with me to, Exodus, or to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. We really see the story of God's faithfulness to li- deliver his people begins with a promise of a miraculous birth. And that's going to be our indicator. Miraculous births are the motif. Genesis chapter 12, beginning of verse 1. And now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And in him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed as well. And as we look forward in Genesis chapter 15 and 17 and 18, we see that this is a remarkable promise by God to Abraham and Sarah because they should not be having children at the ages of 90 and 100. Amen? Amen. 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 And so the promise that God gives to them of this child that will come, that will be a blessing to the nations of the earth, is a miraculous birth. There's no other way to describe it. And even in Genesis chapter 18, it goes on to describe that that, that a second time, three men come to Abraham, three messengers of God, one designated as the Lord, an angel of the Lord, come and remind Abraham, hey, you're going to have a child next year. And this is the, the son of the promise that God has made to you. that that through their seed, all the families of the earth will have the opportunity to be blessed and restored to a right relationship with God. And so she gives birth in her old age through a miraculous birth to the son of the promise, Isaac. Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1 is the next great turning point in the history of God's people. And at this point, God has fulfilled his promise to Abraham and his seed and his family. And they really are as numerous as the stars in the sky. And now the people of God are suffering under an oppressive regime, and they're in slavery. And in their desperation, they cry out to God. And let's see what happens next. Exodus chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 22. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. And now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. And the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. And when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dabbed it with uh, bitumen and pitch. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young woman uh, walked beside the river. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. And then down in verse 10 when the child grew older she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses because she said I drew him out of the water. Now his conception is not quite as miraculous as as Isaac's conception with Abraham and and Sarah, but it's still a miraculous birth nonetheless, that in the midst of this mass genocide of children, this one child would survive, that this one child would grow up and would become the leader of God's people to rescue them and to deliver them on behalf of God the Father, and this would take place through signs and wonders and plagues, and as they walked through the Red Sea, they would make it to the promised land. Which brings us to our next great turning point in God's, in the history of God's people. Judges chapter 13. So we're going to skip Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua. And when you get to Judges 13, um, something really incredible happens here. Is the musical motif of scripture continues to build and continue on. See, at this point, Israel has come into the land of promise. He's delivered them already. They've come into the promised land. Uh, 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 at this point, and, and um, uh, enemies surround them at every step, uh, invading nations around them, and God raises up judges, men and women, who will lead the people of God and deliver them from their enemies in dramatic ways. And the greatest of these judges is a man by the name of Samson, who has a problem with women, and probably conditioner. He probably can't find enough conditioner for that long hair of in Judges chapter 13 beginning in verse 1 scripture says this And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord so the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistine for 40 years being oppressed And there was a certain man of Zora and of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah and his wife was barren and had no children sound familiar And an angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink not wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son and no razor shall, shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hands of the Philistines. And the musical motif continues, that angels of the Lord come and pronounce that one is coming who would deliver God's people. And if you remember at the end of Samson's life, how does he ultimately save Israel? How does he ultimately defeat the enemies of Israel? By his own sacrificial death. Next great turning point of history of God's people happens in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 3, 1 Samuel chapter 3, after the Israelites have been delivered through Samson and other judges, um, we come upon a story of a woman named Hannah in chapter 1, who was barren and unable to have children, and she cries out in desperation to the Lord to provide a child for her. And chapter 1 says that the Lord heard her and remembered her and granted her a child and that man's name was Samuel who was dedicated to the Lord. Samuel had a very unique task. 1 Samuel chapter 3 beginning of verse 19 scripture says this. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord and the Lord appeared to appeared again at Shiloh for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel Came to all Israel. Hmm. Many of you know the rest of 1 Samuel tells the story of Samuel and his prominent role as really kind of the first prophet of Israel, the first real man to be God's anointed messenger for his people. See, at this time, God is the king of Israel. There are no kings, we're before that. God rules. And He rules through his representative on Earth, who is Samuel at this appointed time. First Samuel chapter eight, just a couple of pages over, something interesting happens, a development. Just as Adam and Eve rejected God's authority in the garden, in First Samuel chapter eight, the Israelites reset, reject God's authority through Samuel the prophet. And they cry out for a king like all the other nations have. For a different way to rule them and somebody else to rule them. And so Samuel's last real job and role in 1 Samuel is to anoint the first kings of Israel. Saul and David. Isaiah, flip with me to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 54 As we get to the next great turning point in the history of God's people, the Israelites are taken from the promised land and led away out of their homeland into captivity by a foreign oppressive government. Sound familiar? The Babylonians. And this is the darkest hour for the nation of Israel as they are kicked out of their homeland, the promised land, the land that the Lord had delivered them into. And there in verse, in chapter 54, verse 1 through 3 of Isaiah, we get this interesting little prophecy, if you will, from the prophet Isaiah, that one day Israel will have a birth again. This is a birth announcement, and proclamation. Verse 1 says this, "'Sing, O barren one, who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor.'" For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. And your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. All right, this is a picture of a woman woman and a man living in a one-bedroom apartment. And God saying, it's time to move on up to a house you got to have more room because there are children coming. And really what this is is this is a birth announcement for what takes place in Isaiah 52 and 53, the two chapters right before this, where Isaiah promises that the Lord is going to send one one day, one who will be an innocent man and suffer greatly for the guilty and his suffering will be a sacrifice that brings life, the suffering servant. And God's people would wait for years and years and years to see the fulfillment of this promise. But they would wait eagerly, longing for the day that God would deliver one more, who would rise up and lead the people of God and deliver them from their enemies, And restore them back to the original intention in the Garden of Eden. You see, God has a plan for his creation. And he set it in motion in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And we see that musical melody, that musical motif over and over and over again in the miraculous births of the Old Testament as God raises up individuals to lead his people and deliver them. Foreshadowing one to come. So right now, As we pause for just a moment and think and dwell on all of this that's happened in the Old Testament. Against the backdrop of the Old Testament prophecies, it should come as no surprise to find that after a period of longing and a period of silence from God, during an oppressive regime of the Romans, God is again faithful to his people. And God sends the final seed who will fulfill God's promise to bring blessing and life to the nations. Because you see, God has a plan for creation. To be redeemed through his promised son. To be redeemed through his promised son. Matthew chapter 1, the very beginning of the New Testament story, continues this musical motif of a miraculous birth of one who will lead and deliver the people of God. And just as Moses is born under an occupation and genocide and just as angels foretold the birth of Isaac and of Samson, promised deliverer, so we see the same things here in Matthew chapter 1 beginning in verse 18. And scripture says this, and now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now that's not a miraculous birth. I don't know what is. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel," which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as an angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Jesus. Again, this musical motif continues right to this point where at the fullness of time God sent forth his son through a miraculous birth question is why did God come himself why didn't he send somebody else why did why did Jesus come himself why didn't he send I don't know Michael or Gabriel or somebody like that to kind of handle the business for him well the simple answer is is that in matters of love one goes oneself I I have a wonderful wife who I've been married to for uh, seven years now. I got that right, a little over seven years. Uh, um, And one thing about our story together is that um, when we first met and began to date, I didn't send somebody else to start dating her for me. After years of convincing her and her finally relenting, I did not send somebody else to ask her father's permission to marry her, although that would have been nice. (laughs) I did not send somebody else to actually propose to my wife, Lauren. I did it myself. I did not send somebody else to stand at the front of a church as she walked down the aisle and to make a covenant in front of everybody else. And I sure didn't send somebody else on her honeymoon. In matters of love, one goes oneself. And so God goes himself in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is the only one who can fix the mess we created in the Garden of Eden. He's the only one worthy enough and capable enough to lead God's people to deliver them from their enemies of sin and death. And so that's the picture of the incarnation and the birth of Jesus, that God went himself to secure his people because nothing else would do because only he could fix it. John chapter 1. Flip with me to John chapter 1. Matthew and Mark and Luke and John all tell the same stories about who this Jesus was and what he did when he came and how he began his ministry and what his ministry looked like. And it all started... Uh, uh, um, with Jesus' baptism. And in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 29, the Gospel of John writes this. And the next day he, being John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. And I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom the Spirit descended and remained, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God." to what takes place right here in the baptism of Jesus when the Spirit descends on him like a dove and when God the Father vocally says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. It is God's affirmation of who Jesus is that he really is the Son of God and he is who all of the Old Testament has been pointing to up until this moment in time. And In essence, it's God deputizing Jesus to usher in the kingdom of God And to rule over that kingdom as a representative of God. Just as Adam was supposed to and just as Samuel did until they rejected him. It's a a deputizing of Jesus. Imbuing him with all authority on heaven and earth. And what authority it is. Matthew and Mark and Luke and John tell us over and over and over again about the power and the authority of God to reign over all the earth. We see see the lame walk. We see the blind see. We see the sick that are healed. We see food that is multiplied beyond belief, and we even see dead men rise from the grave. Because Jesus has all all the authority of heaven and earth, and he is ruling as the representative of God on earth ushering in God's kingdom on earth. Bring back pieces of the Garden of Eden back into this world that's rebelled and rejected against him. That's what the miracles are. At the beginning of his kingdom, overtaking a world that rebelled against his father's rule and reign back in the time of Adam and Samuel. It's the first fruits of seeing God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as Jesus continues to minister, As he continues to teach and he continues to perform miracles, his entire journey is leading to one final destination in the city of Jerusalem. And there in the city of Jerusalem, in the new Garden of Eden, what the first Adam failed to do, the new Adam would succeed. That Jesus would live a life free for sin, truly innocent and righteous before God. A unique thing happens here in in Jerusalem when when Jesus makes it there. Just as Adam and Eve had rejected the authority of God in the garden, and just as the Israelites had rejected God's authority through Samuel, the people of God here too reject God's authority and rule over the earth by rejecting Jesus Christ the Son. To the point that they sentence and condemn an innocent man to death. And not just any death, death on a cross. And in that moment of Jesus dying on a cross on a hill called Calvary, the musical motifs of the Old Testament should be building to their crescendo at this point in history. Because where once stood a tree of life in a garden, now on a hill called Calvary, there is another tree providing life as well through the death and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ the Son on that cross. Indeed, the entire book of Hebrews explains this that in the imperfections of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, that here in Jesus' death, who was fully God and fully man, when he died upon that cross, his death was a death that covered all sins for all time, for those who would believe. His death is an incredible thing. His birth is an incredible thing. His ministry is an incredible thing. And all of human history has led to this moment in Jesus' death on a cross. So that, as Isaiah had foretold, one had finally come who was innocent and yet would take upon himself the suffering of the guilty that deserve. And in so doing, his suffering and death would become a sacrifice to cover the guilty and in so doing bring life everlasting for those who would repent and believe as we pause for just a moment, let's reflect on the birth and the life and the death of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Oh, you just thought you were getting out of here. Wouldn't it be a shame if the story ended right there with the death of Jesus Christ on the cross? But we know through the telling of the rest of the the New Testament that Jesus didn't just die on a cross and be placed in a tomb and there he still resides. No. Scripture is very clear. That after his death and his burial in a tomb and after he really, 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 really died, that on the third day Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us that because he rose from the dead and is the first fruits, that those who repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ will too one day resurrect from the dead. And that is the hope of the gospel. That is the hope of the big story of the bible that is told through these stained glass windows that it didn't end with the death but that jesus was resurrected and that he ascended and now sits at the right hand of the father in heaven and will one day return again And revelation chapter 1 and 22 points to the ver- that very picture that jesus himself will come again that he will usher in the full kingdom of god on earth on the new earth and the new heavens, and he will rule over it as God's representative, as Adam should have and as Samuel tried to, and Christ will fulfill it. And in that day, not only will we be resurrected to life, but then we will also for those who have repented and placed their faith in Jesus' works on the cross rather than our own works, that we will be freed from sin and the punishment that sin deserves. Not only that, it gets better. I won't have to wear contacts or glasses anymore. (laughs) We won't have to worry about viruses going around because all the pain and all the sickness And all the tears will be wiped away. And that new heaven and that new earth where Jesus Christ rules and reigns and we walk in that garden with him, just as Adam and Eve did. I don't know about you, but one day I'm looking forward to looking eye to eye, standing toe to toe with Jesus for a moment before I fall to my knees. That is the hope of the gospel and that is the hope of the new testament that is the hope of the entirety of scripture that everything points to and directs us to that in the fullness of time god sent forth his son that he would live a perfect and sinless life that he would die on a cross that he would be buried and that he would raise himself to life and that one day he would return again so that you and i could have that same life that was offered in the tree of life in the garden of eden Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.